cult podcast features adult themes and graphic descriptions of violence, and it's not recommended for all audiences. Listener discretion is advised. Seriously. If you like our podcast, please follow us on Instagram at cult podcast or Twitter at cult podcast show for show updates. And please rate and review the show on iTunes. If you've been in a cult and you want to tell us about it, email us at cultpodcastshow at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you. And most importantly, enjoy the show. Don't drink the Kool-Aid. Thank you for listening to Cult Podcast. Welcome. I'm your host, Paige Wesley, as always, with my wonderful host, Marie Tabella. Yay! I say my name like that every time. I sound like such a douche. I mean, in a way, you're more accurate than me. (laughs) So I'm not going to throw any shade over it. All right. Um, so today we are covering the Matamoros Narcosatanicos death cults. Guys. It's a mouthful. And we mean that warning at the beginning of the episode. It's rough. It's brutal as fuck. <laughs> this is a real rough one. Um, so why this cult? Uh, I was reading an article a couple months ago before we even decided to do this podcast about crazy cults what I do in my free time. And this one came up. And I have to say, that article vastly undersold this cult. (laughs) It was so much crazier than the article made it out to be. This story starts in 1962 in Cuba. So uh, Adolfo de Jesus Costanzo was born to teenage parents in Miami. So his mother was 15. His father was about the same age. Um, He was born in Miami almost immediately after his parents emigrated to the United States from Cuba. They literally like got on the boat pregnant, got off and popped a baby out. (laughs) They had escaped essentially from the Cuban revolution. Um, His father mysteriously disappeared within a year of arriving in the States. Couldn't you leave Cuba to avoid that kind of shit? I mean, typically you do. I mean, I I would say that's normally why people leave Cuba (laughs) to not disappear. Uh, The only people who claimed to have seen him were Costanzo's mother and grandmother who claimed that he had quote, run away which is, like, true crime slang for yeah. murdered, very murdered. Murdered and we're not investigating. <laughs> murdered and no one's looking. I think it's entirely possible that his grandmother and mother probably arranged for him to be gone, either dead or just away. Uh, following his father's disappearance, his mother and grandmother relocated to Puerto Rico, where his mom quickly remarried a wealthy Catholic businessman. It's important to note that this guy was Catholic because up until this point in Costanzo's life, they were not practicing Catholics. They actually practiced um, kind of a basic form of Santeria, which we'll get into a little bit later. But typically, Santeria is syncretized with Catholicism. They're usually practiced side by side. When they're not practiced side by side, they're actually called different things. It's almost separate religions. It's a little bit rare, but we'll get into it. After his mother married the Catholic businessman, uh, Costanzo was actually raised in the Catholic Church. He was an altar boy. He kind of threw himself into it full force, but his mother continued to kind of carry out Santeria rituals within their house. He was a fastidious kid like bordering on obsessive compulsive disorder everyone says that he was obsessively clean like didn't even want to play outside because he would get his clothes dirty he didn't really like talking to other children he was quick to anger Uh, when other kids would make him mad they would find dead animal parts on their doorsteps the next day I mean a lot of it is the makings of a good serial killer soup, (laughs) essentially. He's got a lot of kind of commonality with some of our more famous serial killers, I would say, both in personality and in, I mean, method of operation once he gets into his killing. His stepfather, he loved his stepfather. They actually got along really, really well, but his stepfather suddenly became ill 
Hmm. And his mother uh, insisted that they should go back to Miami for a quote unquote special cure. But his father died there anyway, basically a year or two after they arrived. Any diagnosis? Or... They say cancer, but not a specific kind. AKA polonium. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Whatever it was. Um, it doesn't say what kind of cancer. So it could very well have just been cancer, or it could have been poison as we'll see later on. (laughs) So his mom swiftly remarried. I mean, within months, unfortunately, her third husband uh, was an alcoholic and very, very abusive. And then he also suddenly disappeared. Um, Damn. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of, a lot of people go missing. Um, There's a couple varying accounts. Uh, He was about 13 or 14 at the time. Um, Her husband or her child? Her child. (laughs) Her child at this point. Her second husband, they seemed to be fairly happy, and he was with them for a while. There didn't seem to be any, like, tumultuousness within the relationship, like, as far as any of the accounts have said. So it's possible that he legitimately died of cancer. I just instantly want to assume that they're killing people. Yeah, that they're just killing people. (laughs) Definitely. Some accounts have him leaving home and fleeing his abusive stepfather, but many indicate that he and his mother probably killed his stepfather together. This third one. Um, His relationship with his mom is complicated. (laughs) Wait, and if you want a surefire way to fuck up your kids... Oh, yeah. Kill someone together. Kill someone together. Yeah. um, Or have a weird, edible-as-hell relationship with them. That's a common thread with a lot of these people. It's a very common thread with both cult leaders and serial killers. Mm -hmm. David Berg of Children of God had a very complication complicated relationship with his mother charles manson has a very complicated relationship with his mother it's it's an indicator of bad things to come typically but there's no official report of them i guess being sexually involved i would say that there's hints of it in some accounts she's said to have sent him away um back to puerto rico to learn the rites of Santeria and Palomayombe, which is another kind of native religion to Africa that was brought over during the African diaspora, basically by the slaves. But there's no official record of this. There's no record of what he learned, who he learned it from. It's a very hazy part of his life. The only thing we do know for sure is at 14, he fathered his first child. Ugh. Yeah. By a 13-year-old girl whose mother was so scared of him that she took her daughter and the baby and just moved away. Was just like, he's so dicey, we're out. Like, he will never find this baby. And he never saw the child again. And didn't seem to care. Yeah, didn't seem to care. At this point in his life, stories kind of diverge. There's more sensational versions of this story and then a little more basic versions of the story. So the more sensational versions say that he went away to learn Palomayombe and then came for like came back and started performing rites and rituals as a teenager and gained a large following. There's not a ton of proof of that. There's a little bit, but not quite. Uh, more straightforward accounts claim that he was arrested a couple times as a teenager for robbery uh, before getting his GED because he didn't finish high school traditionally and taking a couple classes in college before being arrested again, um, which caused him to drop out either way. Uh, during this time, he started making predictions, some of which came true sort of like allegedly he predicted, uh, that Ronald Reagan would become president, (laughs) which like it's, it's weird inconsequential predictions, which we see a lot of the time where it's like, I predict it'll rain soon. And it's like, well, when is soon? (laughs) Like you could be right. Give or take five years. Exactly. Exactly. At this time he did start charging people for performing minor Santeria rites and rituals. He was very, very good looking, extremely good looking. Do you have a picture? Yeah, definitely. It's, I mean, it's, he's a, he's a decent looking guy. He looks a, a lot like Emilio Estevez. Definitely Emilio Estevez and has a stunning mullet, might I add? Yes. That's a beautiful head of hair. It's a gorgeous head of hair. Like 
no lie. Like, it's it's a solid one. Um, he was also bisexual. Oh, twist. So, twist. Uh, so he spent a lot of time hanging out in the essentially gay bar neighborhood of um, first Miami, then Mexico City. And he, because he was so good looking, would pick up modeling work and would meet very, very kind of high up people in either Miami or Mexico City and essentially would perform Santeria rites for them. So he started, you know, in a lot of the same ways that Scientology did, kind of courting the rich and famous. Mm -hmm. As he continued to do that, he suddenly had tons of money. Oh, funny. Funny. Funny how that works. Uh, He claimed that it was from all of those Santeria rites and the modeling work, but he didn't really work all that much. More likely, he was smuggling a lot of drugs, like tons of drugs, across the border, as well as people across the border. People and drugs. People and drugs. So he eventually created almost like a triangle of places he would go. So he would go to Miami or to Texas. He had some places in Texas or to Mexico City or to Matamoros, which is just across the border from Texas. So part of the southernmost portion of Texas where South Padre Island is, is Brownsville, Texas, and then Matamoros, and they're separated by kind of a small bridge. It's a huge spring break destination. We'll okay. get to it. It's, it becomes a problem. <laughs> I imagine. Right? Tons of drugs. So he was already smuggling drugs. At one point, he had enough money to basically have houses in all of these places and not like a small, tiny apartment, like legit penthouse apartments, like outfitted with the best clothes. He used to drive a gold Mercedes, like tons of money, stupid amounts of money. And it's that gold Mercedes that he's driving when he meets Sarah, who would be his future accomplice. So Sarah was born in 1964. So she's only about two years younger than him. She was raved, raised by a conservative Catholic family in Matamoros, Mexico. Uh, and her life seems to be fairly uneventful up until the age of 19, give or take. Um, she's kind of a polarizing figure within the story. People seem to either paint her one way or another. Either she is innocent and was taken advantage of by a very charismatic Santeria practitioner or the truth or what I believe to be the truth after reading all the books, goddamn so many books. She was maybe not the angel that we think of. Was she pretty? She was kind of interesting looking. Cause I just feel like whenever a female criminal is pretty. A lot of times people are like, oh no, she's innocent. She didn't know any better. It's funny because everyone, every account has her, describes her as striking, not pretty. Okay. And I would agree if that makes sense. I don't want to be like, she's not pretty, but she's almost six feet tall. She's very thin, kind of willowy in a way, but she has very kind of, striking, strong features. Okay. Um, She also spoke perfect English. Hmm. So growing up right across from the border, she spoke English as well as she spoke Spanish. That's cool. So yeah, very, very accomplished. She was married at 19 and then divorced. At 19 and a half. Pretty much. Yeah. She married a 30 year old guy. Ugh. And used their marriage license to basically claim residency within the United States, which would be important later. So she forged residency papers to get into college. So once she was in college, she was able to forge residency, forge um, like financial aid papers, all kinds of stuff. She had an on-campus job. She had really kind of cemented her life there as, quote unquote, an American girl, and then she would drive home on the weekends back to Mexico to live with her family as a good Mexican daughter. So she was kind of living in two worlds in a way. Um, she also wasn't taking very difficult classes in school. Like she was taking Spanish. <laughs> it's like, that kind of sounds like me in college. It. <laughs> like yeah. You speak a lot of it. 
She was taking dance. She was taking P.E. You can take P.E. in college. You can take P.E. in college. Where was that when I was there? They had P.E. at UCI. When? Like, you had to apply for it, but it was part of the physiology degree, I think. Well, that's some bullshit. Because you had to take one... You had to take, like, one prerequisite class like that, and almost everybody took, like, you know, colloquial dance or something weird. And then I took, a, a like, a weird art and comparative literature class that for some reason counted because it was performance art. I have no recollection of any of I know. This. Well, I want to say that, like, if you were a humanities major, as we both were... yes. Um, there was like a couple humanities classes that counted because they okay. were technically performance art classes. Probably one of my, uh, yeah, one of my acting classes. Yeah, those, acting counted. Oh, those 8 a.m. ones. Yes. PE would have been better. <laughs> mine was in the middle of the day and it was, so it was performance art and comparative literature. We didn't read anything that I, it was like largely performance art. And I got a B because I cannot think that far out of the box. (laughs) And all of the people in that class were clinically insane. (laughs) Like I just remember one girl one day came in dressed as a cholo, which was not the way she normally dressed and then wrapped herself in chicken wire and then cut herself out of the chicken wire and was like, I'm free. And she got an A. So, I, to this day, don't really understand what it was about, which is maybe on me, but yeah. Yeah, that has a deeper meaning that I can't quite That I don't, yeah, I don't get it. There was a girl who filled a baby pool full of grits. Where'd she get all that grits? She had to buy a ton of grits. So she was my neighbor in the dorms, and she was up at like three in the morning microwaving grits, and I was like, what's going on in here? And she had the baby pool in the room and she, I was just like filling it with grits. And I was like, the hell are How'd you How'd you transport that? I don't know. I, I never asked and I should have, but I was like, why are you doing this? And she was like, okay, so um, I'm in this performance art class and it doesn't make any sense. And so the first day I didn't know what to do and I had just come from breakfast. So I just put an action figure in grits and everyone thought it was brilliant. So now I just put things in grits now and it's my thing. <laughs> Which is why I don't ever trust performance art. I'm just like, you're just pieces of grits. Oh, my God. Yeah. So, but it was like that. So she was taking PE classes, blow-off classes. Okay. So a lot of people think that maybe she was just doing it to maintain coursework to to have residency, essentially. So maybe not the most honest lady. No. If you want to get to it. No. Um, on top of all of that, she was already dating a low-level member of the Hernandez drug cartel family. Okay. So th- I feel like that's the biggest, like, she's dating a drug dealer. <laughs> Maybe she's yeah. not an angel. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. Not so good. So the official story in all the accounts is that she was walking or no, I guess driving, I'm sorry. She was driving down the street in Matamoros and his Mercedes pulled up behind her, noticed her, and then pulled around, cut her off, and stopped, and then asked her to coffee and, like, read her tarot cards. I think the truth is maybe a little different. That is how probably 70% of the relationships in this town start. (laughs) (laughs) It's just, like, pulled over, like, yo, yo. (laughs) Come get this acai berry smoothie. Um, I mean, that's that's it's like Bobby G. Like, do you remember Bobby G? Oh my, he's in. We have to delete this. He's in prison for rape. Well, I mean, nobody knows his last name. Nobody knows his last name. Uh, But I mean, that's the only other time I can think of somebody meeting somebody like this. For those of you who didn't go to college with us, which is most of you. one of our friends was in the Del Taco drive-thru and Bobby G was in the drive-thru in front of her, got out of his car and began gyrating on the front of her car. And then they dated for like three years. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my God. I love it. I love it. I told this story to somebody the other night and they're like, that's not real. And I was like, Oh no, that happened. It's very real. Totally. It very much happened. And then now he's in prison, which I found out at your wedding, by the way. Oh Yeah. Definitely for life. I that was the well deserved. That's where he needs to be. Oh yeah. Well, I was sitting next to my sister and I were sitting there, and 
I turned to, I want to say Vanessa and was like, yo, whatever happened to Bobby G? And she was like, oh, he's in prison. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, but that it's that kind of meeting. So (laughs) I think there's a better explanation. Um, And a better way to meet people. And a better way to meet people. Don't shout at people in their cars. It's bad. Good rule of thumb. Never date someone you meet in a drive through Yeah, yeah, don't do or that. just, you know, when you're on foot and they're not. Right. Bad you know. idea. Anyway. Bad idea. Carry on. Yeah. Uh, so she... Here's what I think happened. She's already dating a member of a drug family. People know who she is. Or at least he, as a drug smuggler would probably know who she is. I think he was probably following her. Like, he maybe targeted her. For sure. Um, I think it's very possible he shows himself to, you know, be that manipulative in other parts of his life. I think it's entirely possible that he was following her and kind of engineered that meeting. Um, So he read her tarot cards, convinced her to break up with her boyfriend, started sleeping with her. They slept together for about two weeks And then stopped sleeping together because he told her that she should go sleep with her boyfriend's uncle who was higher up in the drug family. (gasps) Yeah. Now, I say uncle, but there was only about four or five years between them. So it was kind of like she, her boyfriend's dad was like the oldest brother in the family. And then this uncle was like the youngest brother. So even though he was an uncle, he was like 26. Okay. So not that old. Once she started dating that uncle... Who was already married, by the way. So she was a mistress. Gross. Um, She convinced him to integrate Costanzo into the cartel as a spiritual advisor. And essentially the reason that they agreed is because he was doing kind of creepy animal sacrifices at first. Um, And that's why they agreed? That's why they agreed. They believed. They they were that superstitious. There's also a lot of records from this time, and even more currently, of drug cartels using Santeria as a means of, like, keeping their followers in line. You even see it a little bit with MS-13 now, where they'll do similar blood rituals to be like, you know, you think this is scary. Like, think of what else we would do. So mm. at this point, Costanzo had killed people. Nobody knew yet. Before he met Sarah, there's an estimated eight body count in Mexico. Um, not necessarily for rituals, just, you know, hey, it was a rival drug smuggler. Or in one case, it was a trans woman that he had a minor relationship with and then burned alive in an apartment. <sighs> None of that would come out until way after the cult had been discovered. But at this point... I think he had enough gravitas to kind of threaten. So once integrated within the cartel, he starts kind of indoctrinating all the low-level, like, cartel thugs, all of their gunmen, all of their, like, smugglers, all of their drug runners, become essentially students and pupils of his. And he starts to feel the need to kind of expand the rituals. So without telling them... He has them kidnap somebody. And at first, I think they thought that they were just going to torture the person and let them go. Because it was another smuggler, basically. Somebody that they didn't like. I think they figured they were maybe going to torture them, shoot them, whatever. And in the midst of this, he took a machete and carved out the person's heart. And drank from it. Yeah. That escalated quickly. Yeah, like hella quick. And here's the thing, too. When you carve a heart out, there's a lot of blood. Yeah, I bet. Tons of blood. So much blood. Like, it's going to cover everybody in like a 10-foot radius. Like, it ain't good. And at that point, everyone there is now an accessory to the crime. So, the prevailing theory is that he essentially surprised everybody so that nobody could rat him out. That's one theory. Another theory 
is that a 1987 Martin Sheen movie came out. This is the theory I'm going with. Continue. <laughs> uh, a 1987 Martin Sheen movie came out, and uh, it essentially portrayed Santeria as a human sacrifice cult. And they were obsessed with the movie. There's recorded instances of their court testimonies and police testimonies where they were obsessed with the movie. They would watch it all the time. And Sarah especially was obsessed with the movie. Like, she would show it to her non-cult friends. So obsessed. And they think that perhaps that movie tipped them towards sacrificing humans. There's not really enough proof for that, though. And the movie, hard to find. Uh, it's called The Believers. You can watch it on Amazon or Vudu, but that's it. It's not on Netflix. Uh, it's hard to find on YouTube. If you want a DVD copy, good luck. They're like $500 on Amazon. Wow. In part because after the cult was discovered, many, many, many video stores pulled the movie off their shelves. Yeah, no shit. Because they were afraid that it would inspire more people. Or it was just a really shitty movie. It has like a 33% on Rotten Tomatoes. Okay, but so do basically every, so does every movie I, mean, yeah, I watch. Like so, so does, and they're all readily available. So does the Emoji movie, but like nobody's <laughs> killing anybody. Um, yeah. Uh, the It's kind of interesting. The director directed like one or two other things after and basically never achieved success beyond that again. Um, the writer... The screenwriter wrote Twin Peaks. <gasps> okay, now... Both old and new Twin Peaks. Time out. Yeah. That show... Yes. I love. Yes. I know. I like... Because I was looking at this movie. I was trying to find copies of it. And I was like, IMDBing stuff about it. Oh. And I came across that name. And I was like, the fuck? I was like, no, not the same. And then I clicked on it. And his next movie listed was Wild at Heart, which is a fucked up yeah. David Lynch movie yeah, yeah. with Laura Dern and yeah, Nicolas yeah. Cage. And I was like, what? And then I kept reading and it was like Twin Peaks 2017, <gasps> but also Twin Peaks 91. Oh I was just like, god. oh my god, oh my god. So yeah, yeah. If if you want to get fucked up on some old timey David Lynchian shit, track this movie down. The Believers with Martin Sheen. Is David Lynch part of The Believers? No, no. Okay. It's just the same screenwriter. Oh, my God. But he wrote, I mean, he co-wrote tons of Lynch's stuff. Because so, I love me some fucked up David Lynch. I mean, who doesn't, really? A lot I mean, of people, I who, think. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> I mean, the most recent Twin Peaks has made me very frustrated. Oh, yeah. That's a whole other podcast. Was, there was, like, a whole episode that was basically just, like, 90 screensavers. And I was like, I swear to God, no. if there's a flying toaster in this bitch, <laughs> I'm going to throw a shoe through my television. <laughs> um, so, yeah. So, it's a weird movie, essentially. Um, and I feel like at this point, it's important to note what is real and what is fake when it comes to Santeria. Because it's very easy to be like, oh, somebody's killing people. Well, that's what Santeria does. It's it's not. Um, I delved very deep into uh, both Santeria and Palomayombe and even Mexican Brujeria to see kind of what was what. And I even talked to some people that currently practice. <laughs> so... All of them are syncretic religions originating in Africa um, and then becoming either blended with Catholicism or changed as they arrived in the New World. And it's interesting to note that predominantly, um, if there's any sacrificing to be had, it'd be animal sacrifices. Um, and that's not even super common. And I get that some people get creeped out by animal sacrifices. But it's important to also note that up until about the first century, every religion sacrificed animals. Judaism did, Islam did, everybody did. Everybody sacrificed animals. So it's not as weird as you would think. Um, to give you an idea of kind of what Costanzo's cult did, they kind of cherry-picked what they wanted to do from each religion and then added an extra flair to it. So the way that they would kill people 
is that they would seek out a human sacrifice. Now, they would actually look at people for specific reasons, like um, their final sacrifice, we'll see, they chose specifically. Or sometimes they were like, eh, we just need a person. And they would just kidnap somebody off the road. At one point, they accidentally kidnapped one of the cartel's cousins. Ugh. And didn't realize till they had already beheaded him. <laughs> Super sad. Um, and what they would do is they would bring them to a ranch. So they had a ranch where they were storing. There's always a ranch. Always a ranch. In this case, there's actually two to three ranches. But specifically, there was one ranch, the Santa Elena Ranch. I'm going to guess that that's where the sirens are headed right now. Like, oh, there's yeah. There's not a police chase going on right now that I don't know what. <laughs> um, but it was a couple hours outside of Matamoros. Very secluded. They basically had tons of marijuana crops, um, storehouses, packaging houses there. And then they also had one shack where they would do their rituals. And they would bring people to the ranch. They would tie them up. They would either cut out their heart and drink from their heart. Or they would slice off the top of their head to dig through their brains. Oh my God. And then cut through the rest of the body and eventually retrieve the other organs. See, that's kind of the thing. It's like, depending on why they had kidnapped the person would depend on how they killed them. What they would do at that point is dump the various body parts into a large cauldron full of blood. They would also catch the blood, um, blood sticks, animal parts, tur dead turtles, lots of dead turtles. This is not a soup I want. No, no. And and there are differing accounts as to whether or not they drank it or not. I mean, bone broth is huge. That's true. That is true. And that's essentially what this is <laughs> in a very roundabout way. Um, then they would bury the bodies after running wires through their spines. Um, they would leave a little bit of the wire sticking above the dirt. Uh -huh. So that as the body decayed, they would pull the wire so they could get the spine to make necklaces. Um, as far as I know, they never successfully made a necklace. Because <laughs> all the bodies were still buried <laughs> when the police got there. I this, don't like this. I know. This whole thing takes place over about the course of a year. So they, they weren't at it all that long. So the things that it pulls from, from Santeria, it draws the idea of animal sacrifice um, because they were also sacrificing animals and using their blood. Um, from Palomayombe, that's where they get the idea for the cauldron. Uh, in Palomayombe, uh, they use a cauldron or a nganda. Um, traditional cauldrons would contain 21 sticks of different trees, which, like... I don't even know that many trees, so... I'm from Oregon originally. I do not know that many yeah, trees. like how many trees are there even? It also usually contains items specific to the request. So it'd be, it'd be used to specifically request things from a specific deity within kind of their pantheon is the word I'm looking for. Pantheon, Pantheon yes. of gods. It would occasionally contain the remains of sacrificed animals or in very rare cases, remains of the deceased like people, but there's rarely any indication of sacrifice. Usually it would be grave robbing. Um, typically they would try to find one of the femurs. Huh. Yeah. I don't know. Okay. So they took all the femurs from their victims. Um, they would find plenty of femurs when the police eventually arrived. The idea behind the cauldron and behind putting body parts into it, essentially, is that you would then gain the power of whoever's soul that you put into the cauldron. But again, that's robbing graves, not right. killing people. And that's a very kind of old world version of this cult. It's not a modern one. Um, okay. If people are practicing currently, this, they're not doing that. They're just putting a bunch of sticks in there and... Like I found, I found some pictures of modern ones where it was like sticks and a knife and a picture of somebody. <laughs> like it wasn't, it was not this essentially. Well, that's a win. Yeah, exactly. Um, Mexican brujeria, what they pulled from there. It's a nature based healing religion, a lot like Wicca. It's suspected that what he really drew the concept of like human sacrifice from was the Aztecs, but it hadn't been going around for a long time. Like it's, it's not a current thing. No. And for, I mean, the reason people suspect that it was from the Aztecs is 
the Aztecs would essentially kill their enemies in battle and sacrifice them that way. And then in theory, they would gain the power of the enemies they had sacrificed. So he does that a lot of times in this cult where he'll strategically pick people and be like, I need the power of this person. So I will sacrifice them. And then of course the believers with Martin Sheen. So that's where they cherry pick all of this stuff from. It's not any one cult specifically. It's their particular mishmash of craziness led by a serial killer. I would say. Absolutely. Like no question. He is a killer. Like I don't think there's a specific cult out there that is calling for this exact participation and ritual. I think he is a serial killer who is using these religious practices as almost a mask, mask for exactly. his desire to just kill a shit ton of people. Yeah. So that's basically what would happen. But that that belief that they essentially were killing people who would give them power is why they picked their final victim. All this time, they have been smuggling drugs and essentially killing their enemies, like rival smugglers, or killing people that they find on the road. In theory, to give them the power to essentially elude capture. They're killing to keep them safe on their drug runs. So they had started making drug runs into Texas, primarily with low-flying planes. They would basically fly right over the border land in Texas, unload, fly back. They could make up to four flights a night. Wow. Yeah. It it was like efficient as hell. Um, But the police had started to catch on, on the American side, the FDA had, Mm -hmm. or not FDA, I guess it's DEA, 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 Food and Drug Administration. (laughs) It is drugs. (laughs) I mean, not entirely wrong. Um, But yeah, the DEA had caught on. They were monitoring them. And so Costanzo decided that they needed to kill a gringo, a white person, to give them power against the white people. Now, here's the part of the story that, for me, I think is the most depressing. Because at this point, they have killed upwards of two dozen people. And no one has looked for them. That's, for me, the most frustrating. I mean... 24 people go missing in the span of two years. No one looks. That's so fucked up. One white guy goes missing. All hell breaks loose. Yeah. Like, that's so, like, we should have been looking long before that. Yeah. But anyway, so uh, Mark was a medical student. Um, he was going on spring break with his friends at South Padre Island. He was a great student. He was an athlete. He was about 6'2". Good looking dude. He looks like Matt Damon. Like, a lot like Matt Damon, actually. Everyone loved him. He was said to be a super nice guy. And he and his friends have been planning their trip for spring break for years. Yeah. Basically. As soon as they were old enough to drink and go, they'd been planning it out. Um, So they went, and they spent about three days in both Brownsville, South Padre, and Matamoros before they decided to spend one last night in Matamoros. Matamoros is kind of interesting, where because its main economy kind of thrives on tourism, it's fairly Americanized in some ways. Like, all of the bars and pubs had American names. They would serve American beers, dirt cheap. There was kind of a a heavy sex worker influence in the town just because there was a market for it. But typically, you could walk through and be safe. There hadn't really been any recorded incidents. There was the occasional disappearance, but typically they turned up. It was usually somebody had just been drinking too much and passed out somewhere. On the whole, it wasn't considered a dangerous place to be. So they had been drinking most of the night. They decided it was time to go home, so they were going to walk back to the bridge to cross back over into Brownsville, where their car was. Two of their group, there was four of them total, two of them were up ahead, one was stayed. One had stayed back with Mark, and then stopped to pee. And while he was peeing, he said he thinks he heard Mark talk to a local, and then he turned around and Mark was gone. So what actually happened was... A, <laughs> yeah. Um, one of Costanzo's men 
talked to Mark, called him over. Mark walked over. Two other men came out of the shadows, grabbed him, and forced him into the back of a truck. And then that truck drove back towards the ranch. It pulled off at a rest stop, and Mark actually escaped and made a run for it. Oh, wow. Didn't get far, unfortunately, because it's four on one, so they were able to catch him. But, I mean, he fought pretty much the whole time. So, solid dude. Which I'm sure, like, drove them even more if their whole thing is, we want your power. Yes. This guy is tall, he's athletic, Mm -hmm. he's a fighter. Yeah. That's just selling it even more to them. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. He's their dream sacrifice. I hate this. Yeah, dream sacrifice. So, they get to the ranch. They basically leave Mark alone with there's a caretaker at the ranch that doesn't really take part in any of the rituals he's just kind of an old man that's making sure that raccoons don't steal the pot like you know whatever and he kind of took pity on mark so he made him breakfast but mark sat there for about 12 hours until costanzo got there because they were driving back from mexico city and then once costanzo got there they took him into the shed sliced off the top of his head so he died pretty instantly he probably did not suffer a ton of pain. It was over very quickly. Or at least that's what the autopsy suggests, is that it was over pretty quickly. They took his brain and put it into the cauldron. They then took his heart, drained it of the blood, put the blood in the cauldron, and then um, ritualistically ate pieces of the heart um, and then put the rest in the cauldron. Um, They did take his femur, they they basically cut it off his leg, and then they buried him. So they thought at that point that they were invincible. They were yeah. like, we, we did this sacrifice that we needed to do. We're done. Nothing can catch us. We're invincible. And so they carried on drug smuggling. But what they didn't realize is that people were going to look for Mark. Yeah. Like, a lot of people were going to look for Mark. Mark's friends stayed around Matamoros for the rest of the night, thinking that he would come back. Um, When he didn't come back, by about four, they got to the car, thinking that maybe he had, you know, gotten ahead of them. He wasn't at the car. They got back to the hotel, thinking, well, maybe he was waiting for us at the hotel, not at the hotel. And at that point, they called, basically, the police to say, hey, um, our friend is missing. And the police at first were like, eh, give it a day or so. I mean, this is the 80s, essentially, at this point, where people run away all the time. So they kind of gave it a couple days, but nothing turned up. Mark's parents drove down and started just papering Matamoros with flyers, just like in English and Spanish, with his picture missing, you couldn't miss it. Every single person knew who he was at that point. And one of his uncles was actually a pretty high-ranking customs agent. So his uncle notified the FBI, and then the FBI got involved. And there was no sign of him. Like, people could not track him down. Uh, they started bringing TV shows down there. So America's Most Wanted went down there. Geraldo went down there. Oprah did a segment on her show. Oh, my God. So at this point... The cult members, even from, you know, their positions traveling around and from the ranch, couldn't miss it. Like, they knew no matter, like, people were looking for this kid, and eventually it was going to come back. But they still believed they were kind of invincible. So they acted like nothing was wrong. They just kind of went on with their lives. Wow. And then about two months later, two months with no leads, no information, The only thing they had was that there had been some other ritual cult killings from, like, another cartel that they were like, well, I hope this isn't what happened. But as far as we know, Mark didn't do any drugs. So, no leads. At one point, basically two months in, one of the cult members is driving back to the ranch, and he cuts off a police officer. In traffic. This is how everything always goes down. Everything. It's always an accident. Mm -hmm. Cuts off a police officer in traffic. The police officer, to his credit, instead of turning on his sirens, just follows him. 
follows him all the way back to the ranch and then pulls him out of the car and searches him, finds pot on him, Mm -hmm. is basically like, perfect. This is enough for me to search the rest of the ranch. And after kind of taking a peek around the ranch for a couple minutes, he basically was like, I need backup. Yeah. Yeah. So he called in everybody. And at first they thought they just had a huge huge drug bust. Grow operation. or yeah, yeah, they thought they had a huge grow operation, a huge drug bust. And then on a hunch, one of the main investigators pulled out Mark Kilroy's picture mm-hmm. and was like, do you know anything about this? And he asked the caretaker. And the caretaker The one who made him like, breakfast? He's like, okay. I, I made him breakfast. Yeah. Oh. So he was like, he was here a couple days ago. So then they started questioning the other cult members who revealed... That they had been killing people, essentially, at the ranch. So they made those cult members dig the bodies up. So they made them dig up their own kills, essentially. They found 14 bodies on the ranch, between that ranch and the one immediately beside it. 14, coupled with the eight from before that would come out during confessions. And they found Mark's body. It was the most recent, so they were able to identify with dental records. Um, but that was about it, because I mean, it was a. They're all the corpses were mutilated. Right. Yeah. Um, many of them to this day have still never been identified, <laughs> and many of them. There was a lot of kind of corruption at the time where the funeral homes were trying to like charge people extra to take the bodies home yeah like they were trying to charge them for body bags and stuff like that it was yeah Hmm. it was real gross real dicey at the time of the ranch raid costanzo and sarah as well as uh two of costanzo's lovers and one of their bodyguards were gone they were in mexico city at the time so at that point They were now on the run. So they started, flew to Miami, back to Mexico City. They kind of bounced around for another two months. Wow. Where no one could really find them. And part of the reason that they successfully eluded capture for the next two months or so was because he had dirt on every powerful person. He had done rituals for everybody. He had everybody in his little black book. He knew who was gay. He knew who was practicing Santeria when they were supposedly a good Catholic. He knew all of it. Oh, my God. So at the same time that people are kind of helping him escape and and giving him money, people are also trying to kill him. Because they're like, at least if he's dead, my secrets don't get out. Right. So there's a couple different um, stories of how things officially ended. So some stories suggest that Sarah, who was traveling with them, got worried and gave up their position to the police. They think that perhaps, because at one point she got sick and needed a doctor, they think that she gave that doctor a message Okay. So there's one account of that. It didn't really come out in court, so it's possible that it didn't happen. It's just kind of a rumor. The more likely story is that they had kind of kept track of the cars they were using, and they were switching cars every couple days. Were they all gold? Uh, They were like silver Mercedes, gold Mercedes, and then they eventually switched to like a Ford Taurus uh, that he hated, so he just parked it on the street because he didn't care. And they tracked the car. And a cop found the car, not realizing that they had essentially parked it outside where they were. And they were essentially holed up in an apartment furnished by a former cult member who basically called in a favor and was like, hey, I helped you with that modeling gig. You have to put us up and go get groceries for us and everything. So the cops found the car. And he saw through the window that the cops were kind of circling (laughs) the car. And he thought that they had found them. All they'd found was the car. They didn't know where they were. That they were right there. Right. They were right there. And so he took a bunch of money and threw it out the window and then started spraying the street with bullets out of an AK-47. Oh, my God. So he gave them away. Yeah. In a way. I mean, they would have... I don't know how much longer they would have escaped. I mean, they clearly were... The police were getting close. 
But he he gave their position away. Um, And according to everyone in the apartment, he was extremely erratic. Yeah, why the money throwing? I don't know. Um, I think it's funny because every account had it where they were like, he kind of lost his mind and started tossing money out. Um, they think maybe he was trying to uh, like a last ditch effort like to a bribe. bribery. Yeah. yeah. But he didn't give them any time was, to consider it. He <laughs> yeah. just immediately started spraying them with bullets. They think maybe also that it was like a sacrifice or an offering to basically be like, take it. I don't need the money. I just want the power basically. So they start a shootout with the police, the police call in reinforcements. Um, at a certain point, he believes that there's no way they're going to survive the shootout. Probably true. Yeah. Fair guess. Fair game. Um, and so he chooses one of his lovers and he wants to die with him. So he has their bodyguard shoot them together. So, there are some rumors that he didn't actually die. Oh. Yeah, I read a couple things where they're like, you can't tell in the picture that it's actually him. His oh. face is so mutilated. You can totally tell. It's them. He's dead. Like, he's very dead. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it was very obviously them. He had a weird mustache, but it was them. So as soon as they were dead, Sarah and the bodyguard basically left the apartment and hands in the air and turn themselves in. So during the trial, Sarah denies everything. Of course. Yeah. She says she was never there for any of the, the sacrifices and that if she had known that that's what it was going to be like, she never would have joined. But I mean, there's a lot of evidence that she was involved. There's also evidence that she was involved in some of the prior killings as well. She probably was. I would agree. I mean, I think so. Everyone wants to paint themselves as not being involved. Of course. Um, Most of the other cult members kind of deny various levels of involvement. They admit to some stuff, but not everything. Um, Most of them basically were like, well, he killed most of the people. And that's not entirely wrong. Like he was typically the one performing sacrifices. He would tell people that he was the only one qualified to perform those Mm -hmm. sacrifices, um, as a way to kind of keep an authority over them. Oddly enough, the one murder that she was officially charged for is Costanzo's. They charged her with his murder. In part because she, I guess, was cheering for his death and was like, get him, kill him, just kill him. He wants to die, basically. So she was charged for his murder. Wow. Which I found interesting. Like, I found it interesting that they prosecuted his murder at all. But. Yeah. Yeah. So she was charged with his murder. And then she was also charged as an accessory in the death of the trans woman that they burned alive in an apartment. She, interestingly enough, I had to learn a lot about the Mexican court system. Um, There are no juries. There's no, you don't get to plead your case. None of it. It's all document based. So it's basically only things that we can verify with documented statements from people like sworn affidavits, confessions, things like that. And your sentences don't run concurrent or only run concurrent. They don't run um, one after the other. So she was, I guess, sentenced to what the equivalent, the equivalent of 647 years in prison. But because they all run concurrently, it comes out to about 62 years in jail. So she will actually be out in about 20 years. She's only 50 now. So. Oh, wow. Yeah. So she could feasibly, I actually had to check because some, some accounts had her, uh, in jail for 30 years, which would have meant she was out basically five, 10 years ago. Mm -hmm. Um, and so I had to check and basically be like, is she out? Like, is she out and about? Uh, she's not. Um, she did write a book two years ago. And she also... About this. About this. Um, it is in Spanish. She denies everything. Um, she was also badly tortured by the prison guards. Not to um, like, you know... Right. <laughs> not to be like, she should go free because of it. But every one of the cult members was 
badly tortured, like very badly tortured. So. Well, I mean, they were chopping people's heads yeah, off and yeah, eating they, their brains. I mean, they so, were cutting people into you know. squares. You totally. Know. Yes. Uh, one of them has already died in prison. Um, one was released and then died already. And then two others are in prison, but were older than Sarah. So okay. it is unlikely that any of them besides Sarah will get out. So... Well, yeah, yeah, that's a doozy. Oh, and if you're super, super interested in a very fictionalized version of this case, you can watch Borderland with Ryder Strong from Boy Meets World. <laughs> <laughs> if, if you want to see Sean from Boy Meets World play Mark Kilroy, essentially. So, yeah, yeah. I do want to watch that. I know. I was like, oh, I, I really wanted to watch the Martin Sheen one. And that one was just like, you can find basic clips. I mean, it got horrible reviews even at the I time. I don't care. That has never stopped me before and it won't I know, stop me I now. Know. I know. It, well, it's stopping me from being able to easily find it is well, the that, problem. Because yeah. um, even like Amazon and Voodoo where you're supposed to be able to see it, it's like you can only buy it on certain formats and... Yeah, if you want a VHS of it, those are easier to get. But huh. I don't have a V8. I don't have a VCR. So, well, we might need to go find one. I know. I yeah. I will. They have can to only do be like update. what, like eight dollars now a VCR. Yeah, I mean, if you can connect it, I think that would be the thing. Um, I mean, there's got to be some somewhere. Yeah, we'll figure it out. I know. I'm sorry. This one was such a bummer. There's like nothing funny about this case. No, I. There's nothing to make fun of. This is <laughs> fucking terrible is, all around. It is just horrifying and terrible yeah top to bottom yes <laughs> yeah it's a bad one yeah but also I, I should note if you are interested in what qualifies as official and sanctioned santeria versus what is not um there actually is a website at uh, santeriachurch.org and they actually have like a Q&A and an FAQ section that's basically like, do you kill animals? Yes, but only humanely. And there's actually a number for reporting people who are misusing Santeria. So if well, you are good. interested, feel free to report them. I mean, you know, if they're not abiding by the rules, they're very, very, very strict. A lot of the rules were things like, do not lie to people about what you can and can't do. Like if there's something beyond your abilities, do not attempt to do it. Or you must like perform your rituals within a certain amount of time. You can't keep people waiting. You can't oh, do it without people. Yeah, it was it was kind of interesting. That is interesting. Yeah. What was really interesting was of the two books we read, um, I read uh, Hell Ranch, the second one, was I would say the more pragmatic of the two. And he had actually studied Santeria and was just like, yeah, this is not Santeria. This is just a guy chopping people up and calling it Santeria. But the first book I read, <laughs> Cauldron of Blood, was written by a very white guy who was like, all Santeria people are cutting yeah. people up all the time. And I was like, that's not even remote. <laughs> I feel like we'd know a lot more about it if that was the case. I mean, there's definitely been a Law & Order episode about it. Yeah, there was. Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. Remember? It was like mm -hmm. that little girl. Yeah. Yeah, I remember that one. But yeah, in real life, no, not There so was much. a nurse, too. Oh, yeah, yeah. I remember that one. Yeah. They'd, like, go to her apartment. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and there is, like, some evidence of exorcisms. Like, I watched a documentary on the worship of, um, essentially, Hol Holy Mother Death. So... I don't know her. Yeah, no, it's... I it's, don't care to. It's essentially the alternative <laughs> of Our Lady of Guadalupe. It's okay. It's Saint Death. And that's become kind of a burgeoning cult we should maybe cover on a later episode okay. that's kind of separate from this, but there's a lot of churches locally that are performing just like tons of exorcisms Aww. because they believe people are getting possessed in this cult. And it's always tricky when you get, you know, into exorcisms and stuff. Cause you never know if somebody's just like epileptic, like <laughs> or, mentally ill or, yeah, or schizophrenic. Yeah. Like, it's, it's real, real rough. And there's not necessarily the access to mental health, right. You know, services that you would get other places. And so there's just tons and tons of videos of them 
essentially exercising demons on people that I'm like, that person could just be autistic. Like, I don't really, I don't see tons of evidence here. So that one we should probably cover at a later date. Yes. It it was like tangentially related to this case. It kind of came up as a result, but yeah. So yeah, we'll have to check that out for real. Thank you so much again for joining us. This has been a real rough episode of Cults. This has been brutal as fuck. (laughs) Go watch Real Housewives or something and cleanse yourself of this. Marie just looks a little shell-shocked. I had nothing to say this whole time. (laughs) My face. Oh, I almost wish we could have videoed this one because you looked just scared and angry the whole time. Accurate. Very That's accurate. accurate. I think most of the time you were just like, what? Yeah. No. And nothing what? to add. Nothing no. to offer. But I can tell you this. If you think you're in a cult, uh, tell someone who's not in the cult. Let a police officer know, a doctor, a friend, uh, anybody who's not in the cult, not boiling people or eating their brains, and or call 911 and go to cultwatch.org. That's great. And don't drink the Kool-Aid. Kool-Aid.